This is Mouth Media Network, audio for business. Hi, I'm Sarman Sagir. I run Acquisition for Adorme. What I love about fashion tech is how it is more accessible to everyday people than sort of traditional high-end fashion is. From New York City, you're listening to Fashion Is Your Business, covering the intersection of innovation and business in the fashion industry. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show. I'm Mark Rako, and uh, with me on this particular incredible interview is uh, our friend Kathy Chappes, who, in addition to being one of the hosts of another Mouth Media Network show, American Fashion Podcast, and oh, you do it so well, Kathy, uh, she is also uh, does advisory work helping direct-to-consumer apparel brands build a healthy infrastructure for long-term sustainability. So you can find out more about her, by the way, and what she's doing at LeanCanvasAdvisory.com. Thank you, Mark. I love being here. This go. is my favorite podcast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So thank you. It's because we, we, we give a shout-out to your advisory work. That's why. I know. <laughs> I, know all, I know all the secrets there. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and by the way, uh, Mouth Media, who produces Fashion Is Your Business, uh, has uh, the lucky opportunity, uh, thanks to Commerce Next, to interview some of the speakers from their upcoming conference uh, in New York on July 31st and August 1st. And today we have one of them, and his name is Joe Yakwell. He's the CEO of Agency Within. Uh, Joe, how you doing? And welcome. Doing great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, glad to have you here, of course. And uh, I think it's time to give a shout out to our uh, awesome guest. He happens to be Sarmid Sagir. How'd I do? You did perfectly. Yeah, thank you. He's the VP of Acquisition. Anyone that knows me knows I'm not great with names. So if I nailed that, I'm really proud of myself. (laughs) All right. Uh, He's a VP of Acquisition at Adormi. And how about we start here? Uh, What do you think Adormi's place in the fashion world is? How are you guys seeing it? It's, I don't even mean what do you do, mm-hmm. but how do you think you fit in? So I think we – it's a, it's a very interesting question. I think – And can I interject course, quickly and uh, not to steer your answer, yeah. but a lot of this will go to how you're marketing yourselves, how you're – you know, what what's the message you're trying to put out there? Mm-hmm. You know, because if you're – if you're a vacation solution or if you're a, you know, if you're a, if you're about intimate times or if you're about relationships or if you're about this, or what what is it that you're about? So I think for us as a company, we are all about inclusion and making sure that we can avail, make available to the most amount of people, the widest breadth of people, high quality um, undergarments, essentially, uh, or lingerie. Uh, essentially for everybody. So not to get into any sort of recent things that have happened with other companies, but uh, it's, we just feel that fashion should be available to most amount of people possible. uh, And it shouldn't make a difference what size you are or what ethnicity you are or anything like that. It should just be available to everybody. Uh, and that's essentially what we're trying to do as a company, and that's essentially what we strive to do. Uh, and the big advantage I think that we have is really that I work with some of the smartest people that you ever meet. Uh, 
and essentially that's it. We are trying to build a company and we don't really care as much about the competition or what anybody else is doing. I think the, internally we all believe that there's enough room for everybody to, to grow and we're trying to manage ourselves and hold true to what we are as a company. What is VP of acquisition at an undergarment or lingerie company? What does that mean? So I am my sort of day-to-day -day responsibility is essentially bringing in new customers and acquisitions and, and sort of so many other, especially direct to consumer uh, Acquisition companies. in terms of exactly. consumer, got it, okay. Right, so uh, I'm responsible for bringing in new customers, uh, sort of managing things like ad spend, conversion rates, uh, CPAs. Cool. Um, so, so I think you know maybe a good time to kind of dive a little bit deeper into your role there. Um, what are some of the biggest channels that you guys are leveraging for customer acquisition? I know during the break, um, you know, you were talking about how you're really trying to to really scale up, um, you know, in, in different channels. If you could just help us understand, you know, what are the biggest channels that um, you know you guys are currently using, and then also maybe kind of looking down throughout the next twelve months, what you might be tapping into next. Yeah, and I think. Currently, Facebook is, I'm sure, Joe, you work with multiple other companies. It's hard to beat Facebook in terms of scale and in terms of targeting. Uh, currently, Facebook is our largest channel. Depending on the seasons, different seasons, it varies uh, as we bring in channels like TV, search goes up, as uh, things like that. So like the mix actually varies from time to time. But currently, Facebook, TV uh, are sort of size-wise our largest channels. Uh, and looking into sort of the next, I don't know, year or so, uh, we are currently working with direct mail, uh, waiting for results. So we recently had a mailer go out. Um, for prospecting? For prospecting. Cool. Uh, and then uh, we're going to, hopefully within this month, we will end up launching Amazon DSP just to, because they have really interesting targeting capabilities at the end of the day, it is display for sure. But let's see if the car targeting can give us sort of better results than traditional display. Um, and then hopefully things are along the line of podcasts, influencers, try to scale influencer program internally as well. Um, and essentially that's it for sort of the short term. Cool. And we used to work together when you were at Helix, so yeah. we know each other, and uh, yeah. I could dig in a little bit more with you, which will be fun. Um, but you know, what has changed in your opinion? You know, you've worked in a few different direct consumer mm -hmm. businesses over the last few years. Um, you know, what is what? How has the marketplace changed in terms of Facebook since that is your largest channel now at Adormi? Um, since maybe we were working together a little while ago, I think. I think one is more so the marketplace. I think management-wise, in some ways, the actually operational side of Facebook has become maybe a little bit easier. Uh, what has what has changed is with the ease of sort of letting the algorithm do its work. You've lost some of the flexibility that that you used to have. Again, that depending on who you are, what you're doing, it can be a very good thing or a bad thing. You know. Um, but also the competition within Facebook, I think I few years back when we worked together, I thought Facebook was kind of saturated. We had enough enough companies on there, but I don't think that's true anymore. I, I was it's it's more companies are getting there every day and sort of I do feel the audience is getting more expensive, but 
even other than that, I think overall is consumers are getting the same kind of sort of, how can I put it, blind spot to a lot of ads on Facebook. You know, you're an average Facebook user, I think at this stage, so used to just seeing an ad that they they're very they're very e- they're very easy to just kind of scroll away from and move on. So I think as companies, it's becoming more challenging for you to get the user's attention first, and then convince them of, of your message. Uh, I think which happens with essentially as platforms evolve, this happens all the time. Like I think this is what essentially happened to display. I'm sure display click through rates. Or in early days was significantly higher than they are right now. It was different because at the early days they were uh, they were giving away a free iPhone with the monkey <laughs> dancing around and you would have to like yeah. you know, shoot the monkey in the banner head or whatever it was. That's right. like, um, so yeah. I think maybe that's maybe we have to bring that ad back and we'd see click through rates come back up. Yeah, I think it, I think it will happen. It will happen. It's, it's the same thing as uh, content marketing, right? Like you all of a sudden when I think Taboola and Outburn first sort of got going, there was a lot of uh, like crazy headlines just to get your attention right so as you talk about and what you're focused on is um acquisition and obviously retention and having worked now for a couple of direct to consumer companies Mm -hmm. for the customers that are leaving i don't know we used to call them i worked in a a dtc deleted customers like what's your what is the strategy there like what do you learn from your deletes that you can apply to retention so I sort of I don't work with retention at Dormy. I we have a wonderful Nicholas who's a wonderful wonderful uh, sort of partner of mine who who works on on retention. So he could probably answer that question better for with the context oh, of Dormy. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, but do you work very closely together? Cause, yeah, we, we yeah. sit right next to each other, share insights, mm-hmm. and, and mm-hmm. sort of. Uh, in terms of existing customer, he can probably can probably give more insights. Mm-hmm. But I think talking a little bit more generically, um, there are two things. I think as companies, you have to get very good at when you're dealing with sort of especially membership model like we are and especially where you're trying to retain customers, you have to get two, very good at two things. One is identifying the difference between somebody who is dissatisfied Versus somebody who's relative towards the end of their cycle and, and you can kind of try to win them back. Uh, dissatisfied, it's, it's going to be hard, mm-hmm. right? If somebody's been sort of, uh, somebody's been a member or uh, have, have, has been with you for a couple of years, they're very engaged and something in their life has changed. So they're just, this is not for them anymore. That's a very different thing. Uh, so I think that's the challenge is trying to see this service is not for me or versus how I've kind of evolved beyond it for now, or is this a, just a temporary thing? Uh, and I think a lot of companies, I don't know whether that's the case anymore, but it used to be where a lot of companies would not allow you to cancel online, especially direct-to-consumer companies. They'll have you call in or, or make it harder for you to cancel. And I just, I just don't, from a very customer-centric perspective, I just don't think that's smart thing to do because you're just sneaky. gonna I think yeah. it's sneaky i think that's exactly the right word but i don't th- i really don't think people set out to be sneaky i think no, it's, it's it's a matter of attention yeah it's, i want a chance to talk to you exactly and talk you out of leaving exactly or, or or show you the value that's not evident online but my question is is if uh, i'm saying i don't mean no, to no, no, go take it. the baton from you for, here but go for it. it seems it seems to me that um <laughs> 
companies have to realize that some people are only interacting online. They don't want to deal with people. That's one of the reasons that they're doing everything online. Mm -hmm. And if they have to step out of that, it's broken the covenant of that relationship that they entered into by doing the business online. And if the only option is that I have to break out of my comfort zone, I, I, I might, you know, um, Maybe I'll stay in the membership, but that's all you're ever going to get from me. Yep. It's funny because um, when I used to work at Vitamin Shop and we did a survey uh, at one point about mobile and um, and like what why people kind of were really embracing mobile checkout, especially like in store. And, um, and one of the things that people said was like, I don't have to talk to an associate. Right. And it's like, and it's funny because you think like one of the biggest values, you know, and and I actually think at vitamin shop, like the people who work in the stores are super knowledgeable and, and and there is a huge value and asset there. So like, it's not that because some people said that they're like, Oh, you don't need people in the store. But I'm saying it's funny that even in the store, people don't want to talk to people. (laughs) Well, you know, to me, it seems like in those situations, that's because a business has not done a good job of demonstrating to a wide enough number of their consumers, the value of dealing with an associate. So in in a vitamin store, for example, there are going to be some who want to talk to someone because they're interested in the consultation that can happen. But probably for most of the people walking in, it's a pure transaction. I'm just going to get my vitamins. I don't want to talk to you. Cash me out. Goodbye. Mm -hmm. And so being able to figure out a way to show the value of consumer and i know so so many particularly brick and mortar stores the 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 associates are being armed with the ability to do that Mm -hmm. they're cutting down the number of associates and make sure the number of associates that are there can truly provide high value yeah to me that's another piece of conversion right is your is the first sentence out of the sales associate's mouth should make you want to hear more i mean how often do you go in a store you don't want to talk to anybody but if they engage you the right way, other than saying, what are you looking for? Yeah. I think historically, uh, there was probably like retail stores used to offer sort of different things, right? Like you went to multiple retail stores because you were either doing some sort of price comparison or something. Price comparisons are easy now, right? Yeah. You have your phone, you go literally go on Amazon, scan pretty much most items and you know what the price on Amazon mm-hmm. or or just put in the, the name on, or in search on Google and you, you know exactly what. Yeah. multiple other vendors are so that's that's really not a value so like what is it if you go to a retail establishment you have, you have to try and figure out from a consumer perspective what is it that they're looking for and it's either knowledge uh or the sort of experience of the whole thing and i think cutting down the associates is if you're just cutting down just to cut cost that's probably not going to help you. But if you're going to cut, cut it down but add sort of value of something somehow by having, I don't know, better trained, sure. more knowledgeable, that I think probably is of value to some people. And then, again, I think overall, you have as companies, you have to get comfortable with the fact that you're not going to be able to get 100% of the people who add come to your establishment or come to your site, you're not going to be able to provide them 
exactly what they want. Hence, if your conversion rate was 100%, you'll be really great, right? So, but at the same time, you that doesn't mean that you give up on people that don't convert or, mm-hmm. or don't come to store. It's just a matter of you have to understand what your strengths are and then say, okay, these people we just can't serve because we are going to lose X, Y, Z, which is much more important for us, or we can serve this market better because we're better equipped to do that. Let me ask you a follow-up question. So let's talk recalibration. That's kind mm-hmm. of a little bit of some of what you were talking about is um, – Re- recalibrating and putting value uh, where yep. you're focused. So uh, we were talking about membership or subscription yep. models. So if you end up with a, a a wide dissatisfaction across subscribers, mm-hmm. um, from your chair in terms of acquisition, how does this go beyond just a PR spin? And turn it into how you can successfully acquire new people in light of whatever PR a tough subscription, wide-ranging subscription issue becomes. Because you 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 need to do more than just say, no, everything's okay, we've fixed it, or we've explained it, or whatever the issue may be. And find and say oh my gosh everything we've been doing up till now to acquire we have to think of a new story mm-hmm. we have to think of a new plan of attack mm-hmm. or do you i think it depends on what it is right like if it's if it's something sort of systematically awful or that the company's been doing then you have to take a step back and say okay like examine the company more so than the customer just look at it internally and say all right, what are the things that we need to do differently and then kind of take it, take that messaging and really sit with it and let it really sink into you to say, oh, you've been messing up. Essentially, that's what the customer is telling you. You've been messing up and just kind of figure out how you change that across the company and then then kind of take it from a consumer focus, like, sorry, customer focused messaging and how you get go about sort of admitting fault or if, if there needs to be a sort of admission of guilt, or how do I change this? How do we convey that we have actually taken the message and really taken it hard and learned from it? Uh, and But it, quite honestly, I think there are two things. One, depending on how bad it is, you might not ever be able to live that reputation down. That happens. And, you know, I understand why some companies rebrand entirely and change their names. Because they have to, they have to kind of. It is bad enough that it it it's it's you know it's gonna hurt you. Or you just sort of really admit it, and you show once you the customers you have, you show them you've changed. Any customers that you're lucky enough to bring in, you really start showing them the positive experience and how things have changed, and kind of, in my opinion at least, try to bubble up the message. All right, yes, we did what you know whatever was wrong was wrong. We've changed. We've learned from our mistakes. We're and, and you will make mistakes. There's nobody's gonna get it right, hundred uh, percent of the time, right? Uh, and then just kind of saying th- in things like customer reviews of how you've changed or bubbling that message up and kind of showing it to potential new customers. At least that's the approach I would do. Thankfully, I've not not had to deal with that situation of like re- like something really sort of rotting at the core of a business or a business being involved with sort of shady practices uh but at least that's the approach i would take I, I think in general when you make a mistake the best thing to do is just to say yes i made a mistake because i think that does two things one is internally 
once you've admitted it, there are no excuses, right? You made a mistake. You can work on trying to correct it now. That's it. Uh, and and then you evaluate like how you could have avoided it going forward. And I think from an external perspective, it gives the other person confidence of like, all right, this person or this company is, yes, they made a mistake. I think most people are very open to the fact that people will make mistakes or companies will make mistakes. But you, how do you learn from it and not try not to do that again? Yeah, so... I think uh, kind of taking a slightly different angle here, uh, we're talking a little bit about kind of communicating with with customers and um, kind of different levels of customer loyalty yeah. and, and attracting new ones. You know, I'm sure you guys have a lot of data on your side around who is the right customer for you, right? And, and, and maybe that changes based on how you bring them in. How do you use that data and have you used that data to figure out, you know, who is the ideal customer for you guys and how do you go about finding more of them? Yeah, so I think the way the way we've used that data is to try and understand sort of build personas from a very strictly acquisition perspective around like who our potential customers are and then leveraging that, trying to leverage that information into trying to acquire new customers or by getting targeting um, things along those lines. And is there a really big difference for you guys in terms of, you know, kind of what identifies as someone who is you know, a much more profitable customer based on what you know about them versus ones that aren't? And have you used that in kind of in the marketing platforms to help you in terms of change your media mix? Yeah, so I think one of the interesting things is we recently went through this exercise of like looking at our sort of our a la carte or pay-as-you-go customers um, versus our membership customers. Uh, and versus what we have is a try-at-home model called Elite. Uh, and it doesn't see, like, at least the data we've looked at, though, depending on how you're getting into that current iteration of the membership or try-at-home or sort of a la carte pay-as-you-go model, uh, that is a better, bigger determiner, like, your profitability for us than sort of larger demographic sort of broader demographic items. So there doesn't seem to be too much difference between the basic demographic information of like each one of these customer sets, which is a little bit of, a little bit surprising, you would think. Right. But, and and if you dig one level deeper, there's nothing that you're finding, for example, that is going to – because that's now not a predictive trait, right? Absolutely. Because that happens, obviously, after they place the order and like, oh, I was a pay-as-you-go or, oh, that's a membership. Yeah. Um but you haven't necessarily, it sounds like, been able to figure out what predicts that, that you can maybe target ahead of time? Or have you found maybe that there are certain channels or campaign types um, that are yielding more pay-as-you-goes than memberships that you've been able to take advantage of? Yeah, so I, I think there's two things. I, if you go to our site, current, the current iteration on our site, um, the sort of pay-as-you-go option, we lead with membership. and And sort of... So just the way that is set up, um, the the customer mix by channel, it doesn't allow for the customer mix by channel to, t- to sort of vary widely. Uh, but we are in the process of kind of going through, looking at different kind of funnels and trying to design a whole sort of different experience for different people. And I think w- once we kind of have that, that will, at least from our side, that will yield better results into trying to identify sort of who is what kind of customer and then we can leverage that information. 
So do people have to become a, mem- uh, a no, member? No, they don't have they to. Don't. Okay. They don't have and to. Are there better values when you become a member? They're definitely I mean, significant. Getting lingerie every month would be really overwhelming. Yeah. Uh, so, but we, you know, we have really great customers who come back month every month, and and but and the value quite sort of the value you offer is is really great, uh, especially if you become a member. I have a quick question because uh, you were talking about the website and everything like that. I was uh, kind of interested, um, and I don't know how much this falls under your purview, but since it's acquisitions, I thought it may be part yeah. of it. So I was interested in how your um, your message as a company and the inclusivity that is mm-hmm. part of your message and ethos of the company, as you, you've expressed – um, and I noticed on your website, there seems to be a narrower look of the type of woman that is represented. But on your social media or Instagram specifically, mm-hmm. there's a much wider range. And in fact, the uh, logo, the branding is in a rainbow which I'm assuming is designed to be connoting in- inclusivity and so forth. And if and, and then I'm I'm sort of interested if you know anything about the, the people that the Instagram are following because mm-hmm. I looked through and none of them were names that I was aware of. That doesn't mean that they're not well-known people. So I'm interested in kind of coming back. Do you have a sense of the strategy of what's on the landing page for the website and what it's supposed to be saying versus what your Instagram is supposed to be saying um, versus the people that you're trying to pursue? And, you know, because obviously following if you have as many followers on Instagram as you guys do, Mm -hmm. which is over half a million or in the half a million ish range, um, and then you're following a certain number of people that says something who those people are mm-hmm. so can you speak to what type of strategy that you may have in mind and and at least as how it connects to acquisition yeah so i i can't speak to sort of who we who we're following and why like that unfortunately okay. I, I can't speak to it uh it's just not something i have been very heavily involved with um uh, in terms of models we do try to get like true diversity in our models mm-hmm. um and if you go through our site and different, like a little bit further down, if a couple of you you see models of sort of different sizes, different mm-hmm. races, we we actually we are really making as a company making an effort to try and represent that. Great. Uh, that's so that's one. Uh, and then in in terms of leveraging leveraging the messaging, so it's acquisition is tr- is co- kind of tricky in a sense that. You test everything, and whatever response, resp- like whatever people are responding to, respond to. Now that means sort of different group of people re- respond to different imagery. So you have to be able to g- get to that level of like testing, you know, one audience with messaging, d- different images, different messaging, see what they're responding to for sure. But w- in terms of acquisition, we really just leverage data to guide our decision now. Having said that, we there are a lot of things that we as a would we test because not because we like looking at historical data and what has worked. We have a good idea what what creative would do what kind of like what kind of performance. But we definitely in test 
what we would say would be representative representative sort of images and 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 creative just because as a company that's what we want to do now if that creative does well it'll go through if it's not doing well we'll pull back and we'll kind of go revert to what's working yeah it's it's not the sort of i wish there was a better way of of kind of really running sort of acquisition or like what you feel is the right thing to do or what you think is the most representative is just whatever people are responding to whatever your audience is responding to when you have to make sure that you get them what they want so you must kind of study um competitors and and i think your the founders or maybe one of the founders came from victoria's secret i'm not uh, sure adore me but victoria's secret has like i don't know a gazillion follower, you know, yep. 60 million followers. And I guess a lot of that is also from their stores, which I think they've started closing. Yes, yeah, some of them. Are, are you, is Adore Me, is that part of um, a future strategy is brick and mortar? Yeah, we've, we've currently got... Uh, you just five, launched one in New Jersey, right? Yeah. Oh, really? Oh. Hey, well, you have one in New York. We, we, we have one in Staten Island. We've got actually couple in new jersey and then we've got five retail locations right oh now. i mean i didn't yeah. realize that thank yeah. you huh we are hoping to expand going forward but at this stage we're just kind of learning as much as we as a company Adormi is is a couple of different things that i think really stand out for Adormi. the pace at Adormi is outstanding like things move so quickly it's it's a little bit of a shock uh when you join the, the company uh, and, and in the most sort of positive manner, it's just like it takes you back. Uh, and then pretty much with everything, it is test and learn, test and learn, test and learn. So I think that's the strategy we're taking with retail as well. Each model, each store represents, is testing different things. And we're kind of learning from that and kind of coming up with that strategy going forward. All right. We're going to continue this conversation. But first, we've come to the point in the show where I have had in front of me, or we all have, in front of us this purple bag which has just been inviting us the whole time we often ask our guests to share a snack for all of us to do a little break bread uh and uh, and i'm hungry mark didn't feed me anything joe, joe is hung- joe keeps saying that i'm I just want to make him feel bad for not feeding me. <laughs> well, the good news is, is our friend here has brought something for all of us to share. Yeah. So why don't you tell us what you brought, and, and we thank you for it in advance, and why. So uh, this, if I love food. Essentially, Same. Me too. Like, me Same. Too. Yeah, food <laughs> is essentially what I think about 70% of the day. I could probably do more <laughs> with my life or probably do better things if I thought more of other things than food. Uh, but... I so this was a when when we talked about bringing in a snack it was it was like it was a big responsibility for me so I was trying to struggling with the decision of like what should I bring uh and then I one of the things was try to bring in something that's kind of close to you or that's relevant to you for right now for me I have a 4 year old son uh and and I just mentally made a note uh there's these lollipops, and I'm not going to try and pronounce the names because I don't know the names of them, but I... They're good lollipops. They're good That's lollipops. Okay. He loves these. Wow. Uh, and so, Madeline's from... Uh, it's a French Maison, name. It's a French name, yeah. Uh, La Maison du Macron. Oh, uh, off of Prince, I apologize. Podcast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Right. So... Cha-ching. Uh, 
when I used to work at Helix, that's one of the things I would do is just take this for him almost like every other day because the, that's wow. what he really enjoyed. Uh, and I made a mental note for myself. Hey, on my way back, I have to pick this up so that I can take it take it home tonight. And I f- figured that is sort of a personal snack that I can kind of bring for the group. So that's, that's great. Like, All right. Well, so what did you bring those? The, yeah. the mandolins? Yeah. And mandolins. Right. Beautiful. Well, those look great. All right. We're going to take and a... lollipops. So Joe has his madeleines. What are the rest? No, of we're all sharing. Joe? That's we're all his sharing. lunch. I'm just opening them up. We get the bow. <laughs> Coming up, you'll hear the tools that Adore Me is using for acquisition, and I'll give you a hint: they're visual. Right after this. Keep in touch on Instagram and Facebook at Mouth Media Network. And find prior episodes at fashionisyourbusiness.com and wherever the best podcasts are found. Your brand message can be on this show. Email us to find out more at podcast at mouthmedianetwork.com. So, Sarmid, um, I think most businesses and brands that are probably listening are using some of the basics mm-hmm. like Facebook, which I know you mentioned is one of your largest channels. And, um, you know, I think is, is also true for a lot of our brands search as well. Um, I think a lot of brands get to a point where those channels aren't necessarily tapped out there. I think there's always room to grow in these channels, especially when everyone in the country and the world pretty much is using, using them, but also looking for that next phase of growth. And I think a lot of people, are looking at TV, um, whether it's linear or OTT, as that next tool. Um, how do you guys really incorporate that into the media mix? And I think one of the things that makes people uncomfortable about TV that maybe you can shed some light on is just how you think about tracking and attribution for it as well. So I think when I joined Adore Me, just to be 100% transparent, uh, as I talk about tracking and attribution, when I joined Adore Me, they had internally already built a... Uh, an attribution solution for TV, uh, which is sort of similar to what a lot, a lot of other sort of professional attribution systems do. Uh, they We track traffic at a high level coming to direct and brand. And essentially when we run TV ads, we manage, we monitor the spikes. Uh, and, and based on that, we kind of attribute to TV and channels and creative and how things are going. Uh, you know, so that's what we're doing. It's not, it's probably not the sort of most complicated, most sophisticated solution you've ever heard of. But I don't, I don't necessarily think you need the most, you know, trendy solution essentially, right? Like to be, to be, for it to be effective. Our, our system is simple, but it's really effective. We can measure what TV channels are driving what, what creative is driving, driving performance. And based on that, we can make a decision. We can make optimizations and kind of go go from there. Um, essentially, that's how we're tracking it. Um, yeah, cool. And uh, and then when you think about what you're getting out of TV versus what you're getting out of these other channels, are you typically looking at it with the same criteria, kind of trying to tie it all back to revenue? Are you giving some kind of awareness factor to upper funnel channels that you're not giving to others? Like, can you help unpack that a little bit? Uh, yeah, I think the, the, the challenge with TV is to given the format of TV, 
TV tends to have a longer drag effect, which is the the real challenging part to measure. So to be very upfront about this, we TV probably doesn't perform on if you measure if you measure it exact same way on sort of conversion rate and cost or acquisition as as well as Facebook performs, right? I, I think you have to you have to take a step back and you you have to accept the fact that 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 is is going to be true in some not to say that that will happen in some cases but sort of a relatively mature business is probably not going to be the case uh and then the benefit of tv is it has a longer tail a longer drag than an average facebook ad has or an average search ad has or an average shopping ad has uh and I think for us, that is the biggest cha- challenge to measure what that is going to be. And spe- specifically, that varies by seasonality depending on, on on a business like ours, which is kind of seasonal. The drag in sort of high seasonality is not the same as the drag in the middle of the summer when we're not doing so, you know, when things are slow for us. Yep. And you must have, you know, speaking of seasonality, a pretty big seasonal business around holiday. Uh, I would assume with gifting, um, you know, how does that really change your business? Talking about subscription being a major component for lifetime value that we were talking about earlier, you know, where if I'm buying a gift, mm-hmm. you know, I'm maybe not buying a subscription. So how do you think about the way you're looking at KPIs and how that changes in holiday versus outside of holiday, given that holiday probably doesn't have the same type of customer that you have the year, rest of the year? Uh to be f- to to be fair, like I've 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 been with Romy for about seven or eight months now. So personally speaking, I'm still still understanding that dynamic and trying to figure out like how we factor in. Is it going to be something like we push, we sort of essentially push as hard as we can during the holidays and 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 kind of take a higher cost per acquisition and then back away and manage to lower cost of acquisition towards sort of low seasonality. What that strategy is, we're trying to, like, at least I am trying to still figure out. Uh, so, unfortunately, I don't have a really great answer for that one. No, no worries. No worries. How will you be going into, knowing that you haven't gone through them, how, I'm assuming it's not just going to be, well, I'm going to get my bucket of popcorn and watch and see what happens. Yeah. I imagine you're going to be going into those cycles with some plan, some with Madeline's, actually. Madeline's, yeah. no question. Okay, a bucket of Madeline's. <laughs> but what I'm saying is, is since, since you haven't been through them with this company, how will you approach those times to try to not just weather the storm, but uh, be able to observe properly and um, navigate your way through it in a productive manner? I think sort of this is probably the most non-technical not most non-marketing answer you'll get is i mean my i'm going to ask the people who've been been there and done that essentially and and take their guidance right uh, i think sometimes we overlook the wisdom that is already around and i think that's more valuable than a lot of information that you can get just by sort of looking at data yeah data can guide you in asking the questions that you want to ask, but it's not necessarily going to give you the answers. 
I mean, summer is for most businesses a uh, time where things slow down, yeah. unless of course you're like swimwear. I guess. Yeah, absolutely. We do so, do swimwear, and you have some swimwear, yeah. right? So, but what what from your gut, like what are what are your thoughts on how to improve that July August period? I think the sort of in an optimized marketing mix, you have sort of your one or two or three or four or five really large channels, and then you the sort of the other times of the year, you really work hard on trying to build sort of medium to small size channels that are going to carry that that are going to add incrementality to this high seasonal periods and kind of per- perform okay or make the overall performance add a little bit add scale during the low periods, mm-hmm. well, right? So I think I think right for us what we have to do in the next few months is really try to figure out what those medium-sized channels are, how we're going to push those and how we're going to scale those and, and what is the strategy we're going to take on, on on sort of learning as much as we can without wasting sort of mark, advertising dollars, essentially, and, and killing the CPA. Uh, but at the same time, by the time the high seasonality, the better season will roll around and be in a position where we can make the most of every dollar spent and we can really push the company forward and at the same time set us up for sort of success and next time when the slow period comes up. If you were uh, someone given an unlimited, genuinely unlimited marketing budget, mm-hmm. and I don't mean $46 billion, but I mean like an actual pretty open-ended marketing uh, uh, acquisition budget, you know, mm-hmm. to, to support your – a budget to support your acquisition – uh, activities. Given that spending power, mm-hmm. how would you spend that money? Well, that's a that's a, a very broad question. Uh, for for sort of adore me specifically, or yes. no, 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 for adore me specifically. So you've been in there seven, eight months, whatever yeah. the time has been. Uh, you haven't gone through a full annual cycle yet, um, but all of a sudden someone finds a war chest of money and says, let's, let's give it to the acquisitions and let them just go crazy finding new customers. Um, they, they give you, the- are we writing about CPA at all? <laughs> <laughs> I think that's an important question. Are we writing about CPA? Well, you have to in a way, because if I spend $5 million and I get six people, you probably won't be there the next day. Absolutely. <laughs> okay, but my but what I'm saying is is you you also maybe you have a plan in mind. Absolutely. So you're like, look, five million dollars. Let's say that's yeah. the number. I I, mean, I don't know if that's a lot for you mm-hmm. or a little. Looking, you know, in terms yeah. of a war chest. But I'm saying so you got five million dollars to play with, and you know you might say, look, that's going to give me X people now. Mm-hmm. I think that can get us this many new customers now. But I'm also investing in tomorrow's acquisition. Mm-hmm. So maybe the answer is, is I'm investing a lot in tomorrow's acquisition. It's really not for today. And I got to sell that to my bosses. Why giving me $5 million now isn't isn't bringing new sales in today, but it's helpful for the company. So I'm not trying to put words in your mouth. Mm, absolutely. How, are you, how would you think about it? The reason I'm asking the question is I want to find out your wish list if you could – you know, sort of deploy your own plan and money wasn't an object instead of saying I have to work within the budgets I have and the processes that we're in. Mm-hmm. But if I could just do my thing, what would you do? I think the 
to adore, one of the greatest, one of the sort of best things that adore me. I have I've not had anybody tell me, hey, this is your budget to do whatever you want with it. It's about grow us as much as you can and and try to do like and this is sort of your efficiency boundary and try to sort of try to manage lifetime value versus cost per acquisition and scale altogether uh, what i would honestly what i would do is i would i would do given where we are i would do exactly the same thing i would i would invest in in making sure we can grow those sort of uh, medium to small size channels because th- those channels if, uh, and like make them really efficient, like work on site conversion, work on like all of the things that we're essentially doing, working on site conversion, working on trying to trying to add new channels just because having these in place is going to help me be able to really scale up going forward. Right. I think there are, there are a lot of companies that you hear about that are essentially scaling up overnight, but Majority of the companies have have this the cycle of and I, and Joe you you work with so many more companies and I'm, I'm sure you could probably add more color to this. Majority of companies have the cycle of of growth and a little bit of stagnation and then you have to sort of as an entire organization or, or align around either creative improvements, brand improvement, website improvements, or or just product improvements. Try to get better or, or lifetime value improvements, whatever that might be to create the room for you to sort of invest in growing again, you're in, like create the room either in CPA or one or another to invest in growing the company in the long term. So it's, it's this, in my, at least in my mind, there's this cycle of like, really you, you grow really quickly and you do, do really well. Then things slow down a little bit. You learn, you learn everything that you've got, you've learned from growing this far, all the data that you have, and then you leverage that trying to get better. Ideally you want to constantly be doing that, but, I think especially for startups, there are oftentimes so many competing priorities that resources, you're working within limited resources. So you either, you know, you need you need to put in, like you need to work on, let's say, say website conversion, but at the same time, you need to integrate a, a new email service provider. Like, you know, so you're going to work with that because that's more important. So I think it, it is this balance of the cycle of constant improvement. So I would actually really kind of do the stuff we're, we're doing right now is really tr- trying to focus on customer experience, learning as much as we can from the customers and, and and trying to figure out what those sort of next sort of small to middle, the small to medium sized channels are that are going to create space for us to be able to invest more in TV, invest more in, in, in sort of the other channels. Like I know this is a really boring answer. And I, I wish I could be like, I would have a really cool, cool like billboard of, uh, and you get a car, and you, you get, get a car exactly. And you... <laughs> if I could, if uh, that's the one thing I would do, if Oprah could go ahead and say, "This is my favorite company," that's what I would. Pay <laughs> oh, that would okay. yeah, that'd be yeah. it. Yeah. All right, there we go. We got one at the end. Yeah. Well, uh, look, if you had unlimited budget, I think that's plausible. Oprah's <laughs> Oprah's for sale too. <laughs> is that what you're saying? I did not say that. That was Joe. Just in that's case, right. case. <laughs> <laughs> just, just send her a truckload to choose from, and she'll be thrilled. Um, so Sarmid, we're, we're talking a little bit about kind of what you do with unlimited funds or 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 much much larger funds, but I think sometimes larger than unlimited. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but uh, but I think sometimes it's you also need to focus on what you're already doing and how to get more out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I know you were telling me earlier how you guys have been you know really focusing in on content, um, not just in the ad unit, but but after that. 
Um, like, can you can you help me understand a little bit more about what you guys are focused on there and why and, and how you can use content to make more out of the money you're already spending? Yeah, uh, for sure. Uh, I think we 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 have a gated site, uh, so you have to give us your email as one of the things that, that that we're trying to figure out is how do we display the the most relevant content to customers to try and get them to sign 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 up and get them interested in looking at our uh, our product and really kind of take the next step. So we've been recently been testing landing pages with sort of different messaging and testing and kind of looking at things along the lines of how many what percentage of people who land on those pages are signing up giving us their email addresses what percentage of people are converting and then even digging deeper and looking at at a channel level marketing channel level or traffic channel level uh, of is this particular content working better for let's say search versus organic traffic or is this is this sort of landing page performing this exactly the same way in for, for let's just say different channels uh, in terms of email sign up, but really the conversion rates are significantly lower post the email sign up. Uh, so really, kind of digging into the data there and trying to figure out what we can learn and then leverage that information to either have really customized landing page for each channel or taking looking at like what is the information that's really sort of people are finding relevant. And leveraging that, combining it with with another experience that might sort of be better with one aspect of it, and trying to come up with, like essentially taking these breaks and putting them together, and and kind of making a whole experience that is more relevant, provides the right information, and getting and and quite frankly, giving the right numbers at the end of the day. Yeah, and I know um, you mentioned gated site, but a lot of brands are, as well as a lot of clients of ours, are using quiz um, to just learn a little bit more about the customer before you recommend something. Yep. Uh, and we've just found a lot of great application with using the quiz data to also then deliver that personalized message to them even after they leave the site. Mm-hmm. Um can you talk a little bit about anything that you guys have learned with Quiz, if you've played around with that at all personally since you've been there, and uh, what you're doing with the information that you gather from it? Yeah, I think uh, we 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 do have a quiz that we're leveraging to uh, provide the tried home experience. Um, but from previous experiences, quizzes are really as if you were probably referring to the sort of Helix at the stage as well. Yeah, it's, then, one, it's one of the examples for yeah. sure. But yeah, there's, there's, there's uh, a bunch. We have a, a client now, um, you know, doing something similar in the coffee space too. Yeah, so I think there's relevant information that you can get from a quiz. Uh, our quiz is relatively, relatively a basic quiz right now. I think as we expand that program and learn more and, and kind of try to really provide value through that program, we're going to be kind of looking through the questions and adding more more information there. Cool. I'm curious about are you talking about quizzes on the website itself? Yeah. yeah. How do you look at quizzes in terms of in other words, the person's on the website and you've diverted their attention from the buying process yeah. to the data gathering process? Mm-hmm. And maybe some people, if they start participating in the quiz will lose the momentum that you've built up with them in the, getting to the point where they're on the site, 
maybe they've looked at some things and now they're doing the quiz and that grabs their attention. Um, is the data you can get out of that quiz or the experience worth disrupting the buying process or does it? I think at the end of the day, one is, are you promising something to the customer that is that requires the effort and they're willing to put the effort? And then more, most importantly, are you going to deliver something that is that makes the customer feel that it is worth that effort. Right, that it's more right. tailored for exactly. them because they answered these questions. Right. I think yes. where people get yeah, really pissed I think... off is that, like, you made me fill out this quiz and you're then talking to me like I didn't even fill it out. Or the results people. come up and they're exactly. not expected. It's kind of, I mean, I've had that on one of the compet- on one of your competitors' site. It's like, you're not telling me anything I don't know. I think that's, that's exactly Or it. it's not making me try something new. I think that's exactly it. Like, like if you're going to have me go through the extra effort, make sure it's worth it, and make sure you you you're learning from that. Um, recently, I think quizzes are becoming very popular as personalization becomes really popular with different things, and uh, personalization can take many forms of gathering information. I have been. I think there are a few sites as you go through and you like exactly exactly you said you come to the other side at the end of the quiz and you're just like, oh, okay. Tell me something I didn't know. Yeah, well, why did I do this? Right. And then you don't want to do that. And it's, it's yeah. also not very customer-centric. I think... No, yeah. yeah. It, it takes my data, and, and then you're like, well, now you have my data. Yeah. Pay me. Go right to I think it's all about equal value exchange. <laughs> yeah, right? yeah think, like, exactly. You know, we, we try to help brands with acquiring email addresses on site when you know you see a lot of brands just throwing up a pop-up, and it's like... Give me your email and we'll subscribe you to our newsletter. And it's like, well, screw you. Like, that's it. Like, all I'm getting is your newsletter. Like, I don't even know who you are. And now I'm like, like now I'm going to give you my email just to get the newsletter. It's like, what's in it for me, right? Yeah. And I think when you can create an equal equal and fair value exchange, that's when people really want to participate. Um, the same thing applies to quiz, I think, as it does to email yeah. capture. Are you looking at the value exchange on your end uh, as uh, discounts or – added experience or um or let's say media that they couldn't get otherwise i think added experience to in short like we're using it for one very specific purpose which is to try and provide you a try at home experience that you like by so that particular experience has zero discounted associated with it it's all about getting the product at home trying it and and seeing if it fits you properly is that what you want and keeping what you want Getting a better fitting product. Yeah. All right. Let's uh, pause for a moment. When we come back, it's going to be off the grid questions, uh, which we're going to find out a little bit less about the company and a little bit more about you as a human. Cool. Right after this. Hi, I'm Mark Rako. I'm one of the hosts of Funny People Talking. And the other host is Danielle Beckman. That's me. That, that's the other host. And our producer is Elsie. Say hi, Elsie. Hi. Okay, so you know how I know something's funny? When people laugh. <laughs> Every time they laugh, you know it's funny. So that's the key to knowing when funny people are talking. Because when you say something funny, people laugh. And you know what? On the show, funny people talking, people laugh. <laughs> Apparently more to me, Danielle, but you're still very funny. Thank you so much. 
what? You're welcome. Check out Funny People Talking. It's a podcast on Mouth Media Network and wherever the best podcasts are found. And it comes out every Monday. I think you'll enjoy it. Me it, too. Yeah. You know what happens when you enjoy it? You laugh. <laughs> Time for that's right off the grid questions where we ask questions frankly a little off the grid a little more personal in nature we've no idea what we're going to ask we really don't and we have no idea what uh, order we're going to ask the questions we solve that by a spin of our good old trusty wheel of grid destiny uh, we spin that wheel and first name up ask the first question so I'm going to give that you know Joe Joe's a one of our guest hosts today. Uh, Joe, why don't you give that, that wheel a big spin there? All right, here you go. And the first question comes to... Oh, no, Joe. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> that did not work out for you at all. <laughs> Sorry. Um, so, Sarmid, I think uh, maybe it would be fun for people to, to get a little bit under the hood as to what it's like to be you. And you mentioned you have... Uh, a four-year-old son who mm-hmm. who loves the uh, Madelines that we just and had. Lollipops. Uh, and, oh, sorry, the lollipops. Um, so uh, maybe if you could tell us a little bit about your son for for everyone to know what it's like when you go home and and kind of what you have to look forward to at the end of the day. Sure. Uh, and I'm going to do that while I eat a lollipop that he likes. Perfect. <laughs> uh, I think it's no matter what you've gone through, how how exhausting your day has been. He essentially adds value to everything. Uh, I he's pretty easygoing and very inquisitive. asks a lot of questions. He he's all about his using his imagination and and sort of most of the time when you, when I get home, it's all about playing a pretend game where I never win it. I n- I've never won a game playing with him because it's a <laughs> Design, pretend game. It's rigged. It's it's essentially it is it's rigged. rigged. Yeah. As soon as I get close to winning, he changes it. He's like, "No, no, no." That you don't get it. There's a rule yeah. here. <laughs> that you I can do it, but you can't do it. Okay, daddy, blue or blue? Yeah. Blue. Nope. <laughs> it was blue. <laughs> uh, I, I have a 4-month-old, so yeah. I'm just trying to get insight into where I'm going. Wow. So it's going to be fun. Congrats. It's a fun time. Congrats. Um, all right, another very good question. Way to lead off there, Joe. Uh, another spin of the wheel, and uh, we have come to Kathy. Okay, so my question, when things are quiet in mm-hmm. your house, um, are you who are you following or what are you looking at on social media that kind of relaxes you, if that's possible? Uh, possible for you to relax or possible for social media to yeah. <laughs> allow you to? I think... For me, it's relaxing. The relaxing is is not so much about being on social media. It's more about uh, sort of reading about like what other people are doing. So the, those to factor social media in, it's it's I on Twitter I follow like bunch of founders and and sort of bunch of marketers who are doing cool stuff. And it's just I'm always always amazed by the creativity, the drive, and sort of the attention to detail people have and the, the sort of single-minded focus that people, sort of all of these amazing people that we're surrounded by have of trying to achieve a goal. And like, that's, it's sort of twofold. It's sometimes, it's, it, it's one element of that is it's sort of really awe-inspiring and I, I get very, feel very inspired and that tends to calm me down and focus me. 
at the same time, it also is, is, is more like, you've not done anything with your life. You need to do more. <laughs> <laughs> it is inspiring. Yeah. yeah. When you see that, I agree. All right. One more final spin of the wheel. And who or oh, who could it be? <laughs> it's tough to tell. Oh, it's me. Uh, all right. My question is actually on the heels of the answer you gave to Kathy's question a little bit. Um, I'm going to ask you to dig deep a little bit. Of course. Go serious here. Yeah. Um, what is a moment in your life, if you recall, at any point in your life mm-hmm. that you recall, in which you came real close to giving up on something and you made a decision not to give up and push through? I love soccer. So this is this is going way back. I love soccer. Unfortunately, I'm not particularly good at it. And I think when I was in high school, I wanted to get on the team and was not making any progress at all. Uh, and I was just like, okay, I'm I'm, I'm kind of done with it. But then I thought about it. I said, no, I'm not done with it. Kept on going. Unfortunately, I wasn't successful at getting on uh, on the team. But still, it was all about, like, I enjoyed the kind of struggle of trying to get there and end results weren't so important. Because I think I've learned a lot from there and I've kind of hopefully built this resilience that keeps on – things are going to get tough, tough sometimes. It's it's a matter of like are you going to – are you going to kind of let that get to you or are you just going to focus on your input? And I always – what I tr- always try to do is focus on what I'm – what I am doing and and kind of not so worry so much about the output. Uh and if it works out, great. If it doesn't work out, you've you've kind of, like at least in, in my experience, you've met some really great people, you've learned some really great things, and it's a lesson, and you move on. Mm-hmm. Very good. Thank, thank you for answering that. Well, no now your key, I think your opportunity here is to become a very, very wealthy man and own a soccer team. Oh, I would love to do that. Yeah, see? I would that, love that's to do like that. your revenge. It's of a silver like, lining. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. I like so, that. All right. Um, Apparently there are a bunch of them for sale. <laughs> <laughs> Let me invite you to share a final thought as you reflect on this conversation that you might like to leave behind. Uh, it could be about the industry in general, about your work and acquisitions. It could be about the path of your company, or it could be uh, just reflecting on the journey of this conversation. I think I'll, I'll, I'll kind of merge that all into it. Uh I think working at one of the, one of the sort of great things that actually pretty much in a lot of places that I've worked in a lot of departments, a lot of different teams, I'm I, I I've always felt that I'm sort of the least knowledgeable person there, and that is absolutely the case that adore me as well. And I think for me, I would encourage everybody to do that. Is be the be the sort of least smart person that you work with. Uh, because it's an incredibly humbling experience, but at the same time, you learn so much every day. You, I learn something new, and doesn't so many times it is something that I haven't even thought about. Sort of either about how to in in how to communicate something differently so it'll make more sense to sort of yeah. the end end sort of user or something very little minor to something massive. Of, oh shoot, I didn't even think about it. Even even when you do know the answer, sometimes playing, it's a different playing that a little bit and listening. Yeah, is pretty interesting. Yeah. Sometimes it's a gut check, huh? 
Oftentimes. So. Hmm. Um, how can people connect with you? It can be directly if you want to invite them or it can be through LinkedIn social or through Adore Me itself. I think uh, if you LinkedIn is the best place for to connect with me. Uh, my name is Sarmatsugi, S-A-R-M-A-D-S-A-G-H-I-R. My name is relatively unique enough that you, you should be able to find me. Awesome. Uh, yeah. All right. Well, thank you very, very much, sir. It really was a pleasant conversation with you and insightful. And wish you the best of luck in your ninth and tenth month of, <laughs> <laughs> as you go forward with Adore Me. Uh, that's uh, Sarmed Sakir, the VP of Acquisition at Adore Me. Thank you so much, sir. And uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. It's always a pleasure to have you here as well. And uh, tip of the hat to Kathy Shepis. Thank you. Uh, our our uh, Dropping by from American Fashion Podcast. Learning more every day <laughs> I know. about thank technology. You, and uh, and thank you so much also to uh, our friend uh, Joe Yakwell. It's great to have him here as one of the Commerce Next speakers and the CEO of Agency Within on today's show. Uh, by the way, if you want to hear more from speakers like Joe, you can check out Commerce Next on July 31st and August 1st in New York. So thank you, Joe. Thanks for having me. Uh, that's it for the show, everybody. Really appreciate it. Thank I'm you. Mark Rago. Until next time, uh, have you. a great day. This has been Fashion Is Your Business, produced by Mouth Media Network. Copyright 2019. Keep in touch on Instagram and Facebook at Mouth Media Network and find prior episodes at fashionisyourbusiness.com and wherever the best podcasts are found. Thank you for listening. This is Mouth Media Network, audio for business.